Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to our latest Outdoor Podcast. It is late August, and Jim, it is... <laughs> It's that time of the year again. Football is upon us. Uh, I got to go to the Rams preseason game on Saturday, which was, I have to tell you, educational. And I'll get into that in a minute. I got, I got my first college football scrimmage as a referee tonight. It is uh, football's back. Well, I was going to ask you, what prompted you to go to an exhibition football game? Even I avoid those. <laughs> A friend of mine gave me a couple tickets, so, um, so yeah, so just I mean it was it was I'll tell you it was kind of fun. I mean they they let us go on the uh, um, on down by the field, and so you know got to, I actually ended up seeing a couple of guys I know from officiating. They're working the they work in the Rams home games this year, so got to hang out with them a little bit, and you know stayed stayed for the first half, and it, it was a good first half. It was kind of fun, but I'll tell you it's. Rams fans, um, they they need to learn how to be fans a little bit. They they don't quite <laughs> know what to do. For example, when when the other team marches down the field on their first drive and scores a touchdown, you don't boo your your team. Uh, it 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 was a little odd to hear this the crowd on the first drive of the second preseason game booing the home team. So that. That was a little odd, and then it seemed like well, they didn't 22, quite know. Twenty-two years since, sorry, sorry, twenty-two years. If you think about it, anybody, anybody under thirty, probably never even remembers football in L.A. You maybe have been eight or nine when uh, yeah. if you're under thirty. If you were that old, so it's got to have, maybe they're used to soccer. Well, I, I well, I imagine I figured people have been going to USC games or UCLA games. But I, it, it was just it was so odd, and then and then a couple times Todd Gurley had a nice run, and there was a kind of a a, a nice little round of applause. <laughs> but then when the when the commentator the the announcer came over the loudspeaker and said, "And a nine yard run by Todd Gurley," and the crowd went crazy. So it was almost like they didn't they didn't <laughs> know when to cheer. They needed the announcer to to to, to get them excited to cheer. So it was. It was a little odd, and it just seemed like maybe maybe NFL fans in, in L.A. are just kind of out of practice. Well, they did get 71,000 for two consecutive games, which is a pretty great home crowd um, for an exhibition game. I mean, normally, they're like nobody shows up, or they'll sell tickets, and people just bother not to attend. But um, their first home game is here week two, which I'm surprised. I looked at the schedule. There are no primetime L.A. games, which – I think has something to do with them sharing it with the Coliseum, but I don't know. I would have thought that their first game would have been, you know, a prime time or, a, you know, the late afternoon slot. And it's just another game in week two against the Seahawks, which is actually a pretty good team, obviously. Huh. I thought, I thought they did have a home, a home primetime game. Nothing, huh? No, they open up in San Francisco on Monday night. Uh, but they're and they have one game in London, which obviously be shown nation, right. nationwide, but it's probably at like six six thirty in the morning LA time. 
Uh, yeah, and then uh, their final two games are on Christmas Eve and New Year's Day. They're two home games, and that's not really that desirable throughout the playoffs. So it's, it's actually, if you want to go see the Rams, it's not a great schedule. They only have seven home games, and they're kind of they're kind of back ended, and so they could be out of playoff contention. So yeah, it's it's, it's odd. I would have expected, you know, at least their season opener to be like the one. You know, they they slot those games in yeah. the late afternoon, like the you know that that would have been the premier game. But now it's just it's just another game amongst you know four or five that uh, that day. But I think it has something to do with them sharing it with the Coliseum of it in terms of having games at night, or there's some restrictions because the uh, SC runs the Coliseum and the. They're, they're, that's all I'm guessing had something to do with that. Well, well either way, I, I've, I'm actually going to do a little article about m- m- what what I've perceived as some, some real interest in the LGBT community here in L.A. for the Rams because I, I know several fans, some of whom aren't that big of sports fans, who got season tickets. And, and, I, I, and, and just kind of chatter at parties that I go to. People are kind of into having the Rams here. Even, even again, even the gay people who some of them have absolutely just no interest in sports, but they're kind of like, it's kind of like the big, the big movie that's in town. I guess it's kind of, kind of they've become already a bit of a a spectacle, and people know about them, and people are excited about them. So it's, it's been kind of interesting just talking to friends, like, oh yeah, it's kind of, it's neat that they're here. Yeah, I know people have already become or like changing their allegiances or basically having a second allegiance to the team they are rooted for, and they're picking the Rams at least as another team uh, in L.A. And I always thought there was a great myth about L.A. football fans that you always oh they were terrible fans and the Raiders and Rams left town because nobody showed up. That's that's simply not the case. They they left town because these owners saw big pockets of money uh, elsewhere, uh, and they did everything they could to drive away fans. I mean, I. Remember the 93 season where the Raiders sold out 90,000 seats consecutive weeks in week 17 and in a wild card playoff game. And then they lost to the then Super Bowl, you know, Super Bowl representative of the AFC Buffalo in the playoffs by one point in Buffalo. The town was Rams crazy then. I'm sorry, Raiders crazy then. And they owned the town. But then Al Davis every year threatened to move for six years. You couldn't buy any tickets until late summer. And then the Rams moved from L.A., which had been their ancestral home, to Orange County, which was a terrible football stadium. So I think there's always been this idea that, you know, these teams leave because fan apathy. And basically, these owners were given <laughs> L.A. fans their middle finger for years. And people finally said, we're going to stop showing up. Uh, so I'm not surprised. And, I, I, you know, the Rams, though, as you know, L.A., you got to have a winner. If the Rams are going to get a grace period this year, uh, but they better show something that shows they're going to be a team in the future, or else they'll be just another another team in L.A. Well, they've been they've been showing that they'll be a team of the future for a couple of seasons here. They've got a, a great running back. <laughs> yeah. They've got a what they've got what should be a good defense, but <laughs> the defense hasn't played particularly well in the preseason. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see. They drafted the quote unquote quarterback for the future, so. You know they have got a. They'll probably have a rookie quarterback starting at least part of the season. I think Case Keenum is going to bring them to the playoffs. But uh, but who knows? I, mean, I think a lot of it will depend on how good is Todd Gurley. Is I, I I think the guy is going to end up being a, a absolute phenomenon. But will he be this year? It a lot of the Rams' success is going to depend on on that guy's legs. I think I know who you're taking in fantasy football with the third pick. <laughs> well, I, it's, well, the reason so it's so a Jim and I are in the fantasy football league, and uh, and we got the 
some of us got to pick when we picked, and I picked third because I, I, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do, and I knew that at third I would, I, I would have the option of at least one of the top three receivers or um, essentially the running back of my pick. Or, or, or I could pick from two receivers. That's why I, I don't know what I'm going to do with that pick. I mean, there are six players that I would love to have. Which, which one of those six I end up with? Well, I'll get to choose from four of them. So I have, I honestly have no idea. But the draft is the draft is Monday. Have you been studying? No, I mean, I'm. This is the least I've ever studied. So I got to do something over the week. I had the eighth pick. I thought I'd get Antonio Brown. And I realized, oh, he's a consensus first pick everywhere. So yeah. I think he's going to be long gone if your brother doesn't take him first. Someone's going to take him. Like, oh God, I better do some research because I have been paying no attention to the NFL this year with Peyton retiring. And then of course we could just get so sucked up by the Olympics, but I got to do a little research because I thought, Oh, I'll, he'll just, he'll be my first pick in the eighth pick. I was like, uh, those days of having the best receiver wait till number eight are long gone. So I got to recalculate my, uh, my strategy. Yeah. Chances are, I mean, I can't imagine that at least three receivers won't be gone by the time you pick and, and it could four or five could be gone. I did a little, mock draft the other day and by the time it came around to my second pick I think like 14 receivers had been picked by the time I picked in 19th spot or some crazy thing it was it's wild fantasy football has changed um speaking of football changing I wanted to take the opportunity to kind of talk about where are we with football you know it's been two and a half years since Michael Sam came out and and you know that was you know it was Accepted by some, had general managers saying he was going to drop in the draft. He did drop in the draft, uh, and, and and so some people point to that as as evidence of continued homophobia in football. But then we have the story yesterday of you know Rob Redding, uh, an athletic trainer in in rural Arkansas, uh, and it is rural um, college college football trainer and baseball trainer. So he's you know, he's literally, and he talks about this in the story, he's literally stretching guys, he's massaging them, uh, and he's openly gay and have had no problems with the team. The coach knows and loves him. The athletic director knows and loves him. And nothing's changed. So it, where are we? I got into the kind of a Twitter argument yesterday with, with, you know, when I said, like, football essentially is not a homophobic place, and people saying, oh, well, you know, there can be homophobia there. Is football inherently homophobic, or, or is it, is it situational? Can can we point to Michael Sam and say there are still problems? I mean, I don't want to label anymore the, any sport as being homophobic because we have numerous cases of athletes being out, if not at the professional level, at the college level, at the high school level. And I think a lot of it's generational. I think you've pointed out in the past that a lot of the issues have to deal with ownership and management that is still tends to skew older, skews white, skews more conservative whereas the younger generation really cares a lot less. Uh, but it's still incumbent upon somebody to come out. I mean, at a certain point, it's hard to have write the same story and have the same discussion over and over again about, say, gays in the NFL. If you don't have any NFL players retired or, <laughs> or current who are going to kind of come out and make it a story. So after Michael, you know, Michael kind of just ended, I think people were kind of waiting. Well, now that we've had someone do it as a draft choice, we got to wait for somebody else to come out. We have these little moments last year where Odell Beckham is allegedly called a faggot on the field, uh, and that becomes a kerfluffle, but that kind of passed pretty quickly. 
I don't think that institutionally a gay player, you know, if he was really good, is going to get shunned because he's gay. But clearly there's there's something keeping people from doing it. I, I, and maybe it's the whole nature of team sports in general that there is always a let's not rock the boat attitude in whatever case. You know, you don't want to be, a, you know, have a political view that makes you an outcast or maybe religious points of view or something. And so maybe this is one other reason. But I don't want to label any sports anymore as homophobic because we've written stories on well, – we had a list this year. There's something like 40 sports we've done coming out stories on, like everything from surfing to rugby to basketball, football, you can name it, and we've done a story. So I don't think the sports culture is, is inherently any more homophobic. Yeah, and I, that's, that's, well, that's where I've arrived because – you know, doing all these stories that we have done, and and many of them in football. You look at Alan Gendro in Middle Tennessee State, and Rob in in rural Arkansas, and some other folks, and and people that we know at other schools. Some of them in the South. All of, every time, it's the same thing. They tell us that they're accepted by their coaches and 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 the other players, and. So you know when I when I say that it's not hard to be gay in football, that does that doesn't mean that it's easy uh, to come out ever. I don't I don't I think coming out is a very difficult process. Um, but 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 I just think that when we paint sports and in particular football with this homophobic brush and, and it, football as an institution needs to be changed and we need to fix it, I just I just don't think that's the case. I think there are pockets of problems, to be sure. I think religion is still a, is still a problem. Um, or, or It can be. That doesn't mean that every Christian athlete is a problem. But as an institution, religion and sports is a problem. Um, but, and, and certainly you could have a coach who's prob- a problematic or another player. But I just think that saying that it's hard to be gay in football, it, it, your situation might be difficult, but it, football inherently is not difficult to be gay in. Yeah, and we're also talking about what we term publicly out, where someone makes a declaration that basically reaches the media. Um, we have heard of cases over the years um, of players in various sports who are out to their teams. You know, like there were some people know, maybe they're close, friends, and so they feel they have a comfort zone. And for a lot of athletes, that's probably just enough, right? Okay, I, I don't have to hide to everybody. And yet coming the final step, I mean, sort of think about we talk about every time we write a story on an athlete, we often hear, why are you shoving it in my face? Because yeah. the coming act of coming out becomes public. And yet I think, how many shots did we see the Olympics of Michael Phelps and his kid, Boomer Phelps, and the wife, you know, and, and constantly what they're shoving it in our face if you want to look at it with the same point of view, right? Michael Phelps is heterosexual. He's a dad. Look at his kid. And yet, because it's considered so natural, we never think of it that way, whereas it's, it became a story when NBC at first did not acknowledge uh, the soon-to-be husband of diver Tom Daly, and then did a nice feature on Tom Daly and his relationship with, uh, uh, with Lance Black. So, I mean, it was kind of like they become still noteworthy when they show them or don't show them, yeah. whereas... We don't anything twice if they show uh, uh, the wife or a husband of, of a heterosexual athlete in the stands. Well, and I'm not even talking about, you know, having to be publicly out. I'm just talking about just being gay on your team, telling your team that you're gay, sharing that with the people in your lives. 
is just I, I just I think approaching football and sports as as something that where that is to be avoided again it could be the case that you know you're you're convinced your dad is going to throw you out of the house or you're convinced that your teammates are going to 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 beat you up they've they've said you know coaches said if I ever have a gay person on this team I'd kick him right off the team there's certainly circumstances in which you're like oh that's probably that might not be such a good idea but just just because you're in football doesn't mean you can't be out to your teammates or your coach. Forget forget about forget about sharing it publicly and all this other stuff. Just your own mental well-being, just being able to be yourself. I just I, I, it just doesn't just because you're just football does not necessarily mean you can't be out. That that that's my whole point with this thing. Well, we had uh, at the Outsports reunion in Chicago, we had a series of of talks by athletes, and one was by Luke McAvoy, who had played college football openly gay at the University of Minnesota. And he said that by labeling all football players as homophobic and bigots, he said you really are insulting them and not giving them any chance to grow. And so he made it incumbent upon like not saying that because he came out and got pretty universal support. And he did admit there were some people who shunned them initially, but they were the minority and just kind of ignored them because like almost in any work environment, you can sit out of the work environment, there might be people you don't get along with or you don't see eye to eye or aren't close to. But he thought it was actually labeling straight athletes in a negative way by assuming, well, football players are all a bunch of, you know, lunk-headed homophobes. And that certainly wasn't Luke's uh, in, impression. And I thought it was a really good way to look at it that I think some of us in the LGBT community are like, we'll, we'll label sports as homophobic or are really insulting the people playing it who who are not that way. Yeah, well, I remember talking to, you know, different um, athletes uh, in football and and them them saying that, yeah, it's, we're kind of tired of this idea that you can't, that, that we're a bunch of, a bunch of idiots um, or that we're, that we're automatically homophobic. I remember talking to Trent Richardson and him getting, Kind of, kind of upset about it. Like he, you know, the former Alabama running back of Cleveland Browns drafted, um, him getting upset about it. Like he was, he didn't like how he, as an athlete, was automatically assumed to be unintelligent and uh, non-accepting. And and I, I I agree with Luke that you know by painting these sports as you know uh, institutions we need to fix, that that's assuming that there's inherently a problem because you play football. You're you're part of the problem, and I just don't, I just don't believe that. And and and, you know, certainly, I think there, I think there are, there are certain, there are issues. For example, the 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 locker room talk continues to persist, right? We we hear over and mm-hmm. over and over and over again that athletes hear anti-gay language, but but what we know is that that anti-gay language does not mean that the athlete hates gay people, and there's a huge disconnect of what's what, between what's intended and what's heard. So that you know, there are there are pieces of football that need to be fixed. Again, the re, the religious piece can, can can be problematic. It isn't inherently, but uh, I I just I'm just tired of hearing that. I, I'm tired of people in the media asking me questions, assuming that football is a homophobic place or that being gay in football is so difficult. And they really do ignore the generational aspect, where people growing up now have seen gay people portrayed in the media everywhere. I mean, it didn't happen when I was younger, and it happened a lot less when you were younger. 
But now how many athletes have we talked to or you read about, oh, I have a gay sister or an uncle or, you know, a, a brother that they now grow up with more because more people are out in society. There's much more chance that, you know, people know other gay people. And so I think that's another thing that they don't come into this thing with prejudices because they go, oh, my this is my uncle happens to be gay. So if they had a gay teammate, they feel differently about that. Although on the flip side, uh, going back to Luke McAvoy, he said for his uh, prior to his talk, he interviewed something like 40 something of his teammates. And the majority said Luke was the first openly gay person they had ever met. So I thought that was interesting, too, that that the exposure is what makes people, as we've known, lose their homophobia. And as more and more people come out in society at large, I think it makes it easier for sports because everybody at some point says, oh, I know somebody who's gay. Yeah. Well, well, we got a, um, a glimpse of that this kind of anti-gay language uh, over the last week with Robbie Rogers in, in the other football, that is soccer, uh, Robbie said that he was playing uh, a match against the Orange County team, um, and and that a player called him a queer and and did it over and over again and did it uh, with the intention to to hurt. You know, people use the term queer as sometimes it's just another wit and term for gay people. This was this was not meant in that way. This was meant badly, and it came out yesterday that it was Richard Chaplow from Orange County team. Uh, and he's been suspended for two games and fined. But Chaplo insists that because he has LGBT family members, he could have never used a, a, a gay slur like that, which, of course, we know is ridiculous. And his team is backing him up, saying, oh, no, Robbie just misher- misheard the slur. But Robbie was pretty upset, said he heard it repeatedly. I suppose you could hear one word and, and once, like mishear something, but to hear something used repeatedly, uh, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. So it, it is a, it's an interesting issue we have now where this guy's been suspended for two games. He and his team insist it didn't happen, and, and Rogers was so upset about it, he, he took to social media and really vented in a very powerful emotional way. And I'm left kind of wondering what, what what really did happen? Should should I really doubt that Robbie heard what he heard? Well, I, I don't doubt it. I mean, for starters, uh, Robbie plays with the LA Galaxy in the Major League Soccer. He was on injury re- rehabilitation, so this was playing basically in a minor league game to get better. So this did not happen in an actual MLS game. Um, the fact that they they find they suspend it and find the guy to me shows that they determined it happened. I mean, I think if there was any doubt, they they would not have. And Rogers says he got a lot of support from his teammates afterwards. Um, I mean, I, I don't you know I don't knowing everything about Robbie, he's been a stand up guy. He said he has never had a problem. I doubt he would have on a Sunday morning in the summer felt compelled to to write this long. <laughs> long piece on Facebook if it didn't happen and if, or if it only happened once. Um, and he clearly knew who the player was. And so I, so I don't doubt it. I do think the defense that, you know, it's kind of like, gee, some of my best friends are black is what, you know, people who, who had racial attitudes would often say, right. or I like Sammy Davis jr. You know, back in the old days that made me not <laughs> I like racist. Football. Uh, yeah. So I do think it's kind of an, an odd defense of saying I possibly couldn't say that. Um, but I, you know, I suspect that they determined he did say it. And Robbie would, there's no incentive for Robbie to make something like that up. 
he doesn't want this to happen. He want, you know, he hasn't happened. He's not to, especially in a minor league rehab game. Why on earth would Robbie have the incentive to go and label a guy and cause the guy trouble? Who's probably just, you know, scraping by to play this sport if it didn't happen. So I, I don't believe, I don't believe that this guy's version that he couldn't have said it for a second. Yeah. It, it, well, I don't, nobody is saying that Robbie made it up, right? They're using the term misheard. And again, what word could he have said that would make Robbie think that he was being called a queer on, on multiple occasions? Did he call him a deer? Did he call him a beer? <laughs> did he, a steer. Did he, uh, a steer? I mean, what what word could have could the guy have used that Robbie would have said? Oh, did you call me a queer? And then he has it in his head that he was called this, and the guy uses the term again, and so Robbie hears it again. I, I it really it defies all logic that 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 forget about making it up that that he, Robbie even misheard this. It it really is hard to believe and. And I wonder if there's a there's a there's a case where, you know, psychologically somebody's done something wrong and they erase it from their memory. Like, it's I wonder if it's possible. This guy really, really, really believes that he didn't use this word, uh, but but he did. Yeah, and also you know the Robbie was specific about the word. He didn't say, oh, he just called me, uh, you know, a slur. Because that could be fag, that could be a lot of other things. He said specifically queer, and he said it. He said he heard it repeatedly. So unless the guy kept saying, "Let's get a beer, let's get a beer," over and over again to Robbie as they're running down the pitch, I, I just don't he was believe hitting him. Robbie. Right. He maybe that's possible. You know, let's uh, <laughs> let's go to some bar in Long Beach. I don't know how many more gay bars in Orange County there are these days, but. Yeah, it, yeah, it could be that he basically maybe said it and doesn't even remember he said it, or wouldn't think he would say it, or I would never say something like that. It's it, it's not uncommon when people will misspeak and then you you'll correct them and they go, I didn't say that. You know, it's something usually not a slur, but there's no way Robbie makes this up. And if it only happened one time, I don't think Robbie would have made a big issue about it. You know, you hear it in passing, and you but. Uh, Robbie's been too much of a stand-up person about this, and it's too important for him to simply basically run around making kind of weird, weird accusations. But that, and also the fact that they're saying he misheard it, uh, they're not calling Robbie a liar. They're kind of they're trying to cover for it in some way. <laughs> yeah, they're really careful about what that that statement went past every lawyer and everybody in the in the media relations team and community relations and everything else. Somebody, uh, yeah, that they were very careful not to call Robbie Rogers a liar about hearing a gay slur. But, but it, it is a reminder that this 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 stuff does ha- is still happening. And and you know it's it's interesting. I mean, it's case in point. This guy, Rich, the, the what is it, Chaplo? If he does have yeah. LGBT family members, he I, I, I'm I'm sure he would accept a gay teammate, right? I mean, it's hard to believe that he has a, a lesbian sister, but would have trouble with having a gay person in in the locker room that doesn't mean that he doesn't do stupid things from time to time like like use like use gay slurs but you know it, it's just another example of the, somebody in all likelihood using these slurs who would at the same time turn around and accept a gay teammate um, it, it's again it's hard to believe that if he has lgbt family members that he would reject robbie rogers as a teammate yeah, you know, and it could be that that was his way to motivate himself or think he's getting under opponent's skin by 
by pointing out a feature of this person that he thought might, right. you know, kind of irk Robbie or something. So it's not acceptable in either way. Well, and it's it's the same thing with with Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, the the Carolina Panthers knew very well that they could get under his skin by calling him the f word or, or or saying that he's gay and uh, under his skin <laughs> they got he he ended up I can't remember if he got ejected from that game or not but he got suspended for a game for his behavior and uh, you know at the end of the day that word was was adeptly used as a weapon against him, unfortunately. Whether whether Beckham is gay or not, they, they identified this as something that was going to get to him, and, and they used it. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and that's exactly, that's probably what, what happened here. Just the guy knew that they would get into Robbie's skin, and he got under his skin. They worked. Yep, and now he's trying to back out of it. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, that's all the time we have this week. Uh... <laughs> I'm done with my preseason football uh, games, so I will. Uh, um, actually, I, I don't even know if I'm going to go to an NFL game at all this season. I can't imagine I'll get to a Rams game, but either way, we'll be watching the uh, the, 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 the the draft wires. If you have a suggestion for me picking at three in my fantasy football league or Jim picking at eight, please let us know because we are way out of the fantasy football loop. Um, <laughs> we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>